Welcome to the new WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. Over the next half hour, WellMed Radio will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Joshua Beck and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. Here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Joshua Beck. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, and welcome to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck, board certified in family practice, and you find him doing just that, family practice, at the WellMed Clinic at 410 and Centerview. We have two guests who are joining us as well, and we're delighted to include in this conversation Benjamin Gibson, who is a doctorate in pharmacy, and Dr. Jesus Rodriguez, who is a family and medical physician, certified in family practice, went to UT Health Science Center, now UT Health, and he's with Family and Medical Home, one of the WellMed managed clinics. And we're delighted to see both of you. It's interesting, uh, if we can jump first to uh, uh, Dr. Gibson, most folks don't know the relationship between pharmacies and WellMed medical management. Do we have our own pharmacies at WellMed? We don't, but we use Carvajal here in San Antonio. We have a great partnership where for people who are making under forty fifty thousand dollars we can cover a lot of their medications when they get into the donut hole we can cover the insulin to a good chunk now the, the donut hole for those who don't know and you're lucky if you don't know is that point in which uh, you're not covered for a period of time until you spend X amount of dollars almost all out of pocket, mm-hmm. right? Yes, you've exhausted the amount of money that you have to cover medications, and now medications are almost full price. And so, you know, and that usually happens toward, it depends on the medications that the patients are on and how expensive they are, but that usually happens towards the end of the year. And so WellMed has this medication assistance program where there are a number of different medications for, you know, varying illnesses, uh, that are on this list, uh, and uh, medications uh, will be covered for patients who make under a certain threshold. So, nice to see you, Dr. Rodriguez. Thanks for having me. One of the issues that uh, we face here in San Antonio, and you can't talk about it enough, is diabetes. And it's something I know in your clinic and Dr. Beck in his clinic, you see a lot of patients with type 2 and some with type 1 diabetes. What's the difference between 1 and 2? Well, type 1 is uh, where the pancreas isn't able to produce the insulin. This typically happens in younger individuals, children. Type 2 is where the body, the pancreas is able to produce the insulin, but your, your body becomes resistant to it. So the normal amount of insulin that your body's producing is just not enough. Um, so that, that's, a big, that's a big differentiator there, and, and lifestyle plays a, a big role in both. And in type 1 diabetes, uh, often... There's a genetic connection. That's correct, yes. There, there can be a genetic uh, predisposition for type 2 as well. Uh, it, it's just in type 1, your body is not able to produce the, the amount of insulin that's required. Now talk to me about some of the medications you use, and Dr. Beck, feel free to jump in. You mentioned insulin. Uh, more heavily used in type 1 than type 2? That's correct. In type 1, it's, uh, the patient's dependent on insulin. Uh, that that is the best medicine for diabetes, truthfully. Uh, in type 2, there are plenty of other medications that are out there. Uh, insulin is one of them, uh, but but patients like to defer that and, and, and like to focus on lifestyle changes as well as oral medications. 
but there's a there's a spectrum of them. Uh, yeah. And uh, but like I mentioned, uh, di- with diabetes, the problem really is not enough insulin or resistance to insulin. And of course, as we know, and, and Benjamin, feel free to jump in here. Uh, thanks to the uh, avaricious manufacturers of insulin, the price has gotten beyond what most people can pay. You're talking folks who are now paying upwards of 1200 to 2000 or more a month just for insulin. And so what do we do about that, uh, Dr. Gibson? Well, I would – you can possibly use an over-the-counter version um, as like a stopgap. I would strongly tell people you need to make major changes in your diet. Um, I remember telling one guy, okay, you really like tortillas that are made out of wheat. Why don't you make them out of you know almond flour or pork rinds? And he just kind of stared at me. He's like, what? I can do that. Yeah, so um, I think, you know, a lot of the older medicines are actually, you know, have been shown uh, that they're equally effective or if not more more effective than the newer, you know, uh, injectable medications that can be used particularly for type 2 diabetics. Um, and uh, well, For you, type 1, they need insulin. They need insulin. And there was a story in the paper the other yeah. day, Dr. Gibson mentioned uh, mm-hmm. that there are some uh, insulins available mm-hmm. from some pharmacies uh, that are a lower level. Sure. Uh, you have difficulty managing them. Yeah. Story about a guy who couldn't afford it, who just died for mm-hmm. lack of insulin. Mm-hmm. What do you tell your patients? Do you want them to use the FACO insulin? Uh, no. I mean, we prescribe insulins that, that are effective or at least, you know, ones that we know work. But what I'm, what my point is that there are medi- there are insulins that are you know like Lantus and Levomir, which are the long-acting insulins. But recently there was an article that I read that actually the MPH, for example, is an insulin that's been around. It's usually dosed twice a day. Is actually, uh, you know, if not equally effective, or, you know, or more superior as far as uh, managing uh, type two diabetes, which is really the majority of the people mm-hmm. that you know that we see or type two diabetics. Um, you know, compared to some of these more expensive newer medications that are coming out, uh, you know, so a lot of the studies will show that, you know, you don't necessarily have to jump to the most expensive medication. You can use what's worked for a long time. And what have you found, Dr. Rodriguez? No, no, I agree. Uh, I, I think there are alternatives. And just because it's a new insulin, new medication doesn't necessarily mean that it's better. Uh, and, and because it is new, it often is more expensive, and, and it takes a while for the insurance companies to cover that. But the, the, the older insulins are just as effective, and, and uh, it really depends on the doctor working with a patient to make sure that we get the right regimen for that, for that patient. I was going to add to what Dr. Beck was saying was that uh, the nice thing about WellMed is they may not be able to uh, cover or pay for the very expensive insulins, but they do have medication assistance programs that pay for certain kinds of insulins that are just as effective, much less uh, expensive, but work just as well. It really puts the onus on the doctor and the patient as a team to kind of come up with a good regimen. But those insulins that are covered are, are just as good. Talk to me a little bit about uh, the side effects uh, that are attributed to both type 1 and type 2 diabetes because they're really awful. Yeah, the, the complications with diabetes. If you don't manage your diabetes, they're awful. Oh, it, it's going to change your life completely. Uh, it, it affects your, your circulatory status, puts you at risk of uh, you know major complications like heart disease, heart attack, stroke, uh, loss of limb, uh, loss of organ function, kidney disease. So 
controlling the diabetes is extremely important. Uh, again, we, we mentioned that this was a very uh, common thing, San Antonio. It affects about 10% of the population in the United States. Here in San Antonio and Bear County, is probably more about 15 16%. It's a big number. It's a huge number. And it continues to increase, especially as, as, the, uh, as the population is more sedentary, we're not active, obesity is becoming an increasing problem. Uh, so it, it, affects, uh, it affects everybody. So, Dr. Beck, we need to get Congress and the state legislatures to ban TV remotes and garage remotes. Well, you, that would get be part of the walking. problem. The other part of the problem is to ban sofas altogether, you know, and just get people to stand. Like, then they like get that. tired of watching TV. No, but I think part of the problem, you know, this is kind of like hypertension, you know, where you don't feel bad until you do. And so oftentimes, especially early on with type 2 diabetics that haven't had it for that long, you know, their, their, their response to you will be, well, they feel f- perfectly fine. But the problem is that we need to help them explain the larger picture and that this is a problem that progresses. And type 2 diabetes, for example, will progress and continue to get worse as you develop insulin resistance if you don't make those dietary changes and exercise. And if you need to be on medication, take medication in order to help control the diabetes. And so there's a wide variety of medications for type 2 diabetes that target different things. Different, they, they, they work via different pathways to help lower blood sugar levels. And so, you know, we try to manage patients if we can on oral medication, uh, you know, and if their diabetes progresses and they be, continue to become more resistant and they're not exercising and losing the weight, then with time, sometimes they'll transition over to the insulin. I want to come to Dr. Gibson in a moment. For, yeah. for those of you who just joined us, you're listening to WellMed Radio. Our special guest today, Dr. Benjamin Gibson, who is a, has a doctorate in pharmacology, and he is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist, which is pretty important. And Dr. Jesus Rodriguez, family practitioner, board-certified, and he's with Family and Medical Home, graduate of the UT Health Science Center. And we're talking with our co-host, uh, Dr. Joshua Beck. I'm Ron Aaron. So Benjamin Gibson... How closely do the pharmacies get involved in uh, patients and medical uh, adherence uh, to their medications? Well, we have synchronization programs where you can fill your medications a little bit early to try to make fewer trips to the pharmacy. WellMed has um, people who pick you up and drop you off, um, bring you to the doctor's appointments. They're even willing to, for the pharmacies that have a drive through the drivers make a point can be asked to just you know zip through the drive-through get the medications they're going to your community pharmacist you can they are a wealth of knowledge and should be used that's what they're paid for you know they happily take your insurance and how many clinics have pharmacies how many well-med clinics just off the top of your head i don't need probably like four or so four yeah is that going to expand do you know that, that's above my pay grade so we don't know. We don't know. We don't yeah. know. That's okay. You know, but for those, uh, you know, if I can interject, for those uh, clinics that don't have, uh, you know, Carbohol is an option locally. There's another option, which is Optum. So that oversees a lot of medications for WellMed as a whole. And so, you know, in other cities where Carbohol isn't an option, you know, then Optum, Optum is a mail-order pharmacy also where we send medications, e-prescribed medications electronically. And then, you know, within 
typically, you know, on average within five to seven days, the patient will get their medication, you know, delivered to their house. Now, a lot of medications have warning labels that warn against heat and cold. Is it safe mailing medications? You know, I would, I, you know, I'm not a pharmacist. I don't know. <laughs> so I, 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 I would, th- I would think so. You Dr. Know. Gibson, like we, they have, you know, appropriate containers to keep the yeah. temperature within range and, you know, they, they use ice packs and whatnot, you know, good styrofoam. That is sometimes a, a little bit of an argument with some patients like, oh, I'm worried. Like, I don't have any money to pay for this, but I, I don't want to get in the mail. Like, well, what you want is the medication to be efficacious to work. It will. You read the warning labels. It scares people. Don't store it over 99 degrees. Well, that's the low in some places. Yeah, I, w- I would hope that our FedExes and UPSs would have appropriate means of transportation right. to transport medication. So, <laughs> so in your case, yeah. <laughs> Rodriguez, you're yeah. enjoying not being in the hot seat. I like that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. When you think about uh, new patients who come in to see you, uh, uh, how do you discover whether or not they have diabetes? You, you do blood tests. What do you do? Yeah, very early on when the patient comes in, like Dr. Beck uh, mentioned, um, most patients don't know that they have symptoms. Uh, there may be a genetic predisposition, a family history. Usually when symptoms are, are, are identified, it's usually because the diabetes has advanced at that point. Let's talk about the symptoms in just a minute. You're yes, listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. Caregiving is incredibly difficult and challenging for thousands of people caring for someone they love. It's a job that is demanding and often feels as if it's never-ending. Caregivers feel alone and lonely. That's where Caregiver SOS On Air comes to the rescue. This half-hour weekly program features nationally known gerontologist Carol Zerniel and attorney and veteran broadcaster Ron Aaron. Ooh, that's me. And remember... Caregiver SOS On Air, Saturdays at 7.30 a.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and Sundays at 12.30 p.m. on Freedom, 1160 KRDY. Thank you so much for listening to WellMed Radio. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck, a board-certified family practitioner. We're joined in our WellMed Radio studio by Dr. Ben Gibson, who has a doctorate in pharmacology. He's board-certified geriatric pharmacist, and that is pretty important in this world today with so many folks who are moving into their later years. Dr. Jesus Rodriguez is with us again. Well, again, meaning you were here a few minutes ago. (laughs) And he is board-certified in family practice as well. And he's with Family and Medical Home, a private medical service that is managed by WellMed. And as you think about uh, this part of the country, South Texas, uh, and you see the huge number of patients with diabetes, and we were talking about how when you have a new patient, you diagnose it. What are the symptoms people should be worried about? When I was a kid, the big symptom was, you know, if you go pee-pee 30 times a day, you got a problem. Yes, that's that's one of the symptoms. Uh, being thirsty all the time, being hungry, uh, losing weight without trying, those are all advanced signs of diabetes, which is not a good thing. So to, to help identify if somebody has diabetes when they first come in, if it's a new patient, it's very important to focus on their, the story that they tell and doing a physical exam and, of course, blood tests. Blood tests are essential in helping us diagnose 
the severity of the, of the disease or how advanced the diabetes really is. And there's a, a test that keeps getting thrown around called A1C. And what does that measure? That's good. Uh, so in simple terms, it, it kind of measures your sugar over the last three months, kind of an average of what your uh, your glucose has been. So I have patients that come in and I'll do blood tests and identify that they've got diabetes. And they come back and they say, look, I, I did the test and I wasn't fasting, right? I had just eaten. And I tell them, that's okay. You could have eaten a big tub of ice cream and it's not going to change. Uh, this is a more uh, more accurate kind of a, a, an average of what your sugar has been for the last three months. So it's really not going to be affected whether you had eaten that day or not. And what are the guidelines with A1C? It needs to be at or below a certain number? That's correct. So anything less than 5.7 or 5.6 or less is considered normal. Uh, 5.7 to 6.4 is considered pre-diabetes. And then from 6.5 and on is considered diabetes. But that test is very important. Everything we do as physicians revolves around that test. When doctors talk about your diabetes is controlled, it's not controlled, what we're referring to is that one test. So anything less than seven is considered uh, controlled, and anything above seven is considered not controlled, where it's putting you at risk of, uh, of organ damage. And so, Dr. Beck, when the mm-hmm. A1C comes back and it's 11, mm-hmm. and the patient says, well, I don't have diabetes, doctor. I'm in good shape here. Well, this is where the whole education part comes into play, where we as family practice docs, you know, or internal medicine docs need to talk to the patients and really have that serious conversation about where things are going. We can look at the trend of how the labs have been, if they've been an established patient. And and the A1C, like Dr. Rodriguez says, is a a good test to look at because oftentimes you'll hear from patients say, oh, you know, my sugar's been well controlled, you know, my sugars have been great, you know, but then their A1C is like 9 and, and, and you know from that that the average means that their sugar has been actually higher than what it should be. And so that's a good talking point to talk to them about lifestyle changes, weight loss, if they need to lose weight, and then, you know, whether or not we need to change medications or increase, you know, dosages. Now, now you, I thought you were going where I'm thinking. Some mm-hmm. patients get labeled pre-diabetic, mm-hmm. which means? So they have pre-diabetes when they have elevated blood sugar, you know, fasting blood sugar, or they have an A1C that falls under the threshold for diabetes, for type 2 diabetes, which is what Dr. Rodriguez mentioned is 6.5% or above. Uh, and so if it's above normal but below 6.5%, then they would be considered prediabetes. And so those are the patients who you may not be able to stop them from becoming a diabetic, but you want to work really hard at preventing them you know, from becoming a diabetic or at least delaying the onset because there's no cure. Uh, you know, you know, obviously, you know, you know, I, bariatric surgery may be a cure for some people, but in general, there's no cure. It's a disease that progresses. Bariatric so, surgery, getting your stomach banded? Yeah, getting your stomach banded or having a gastrectomy or whatever option you choose, you know, the different options, and you lose a whole bunch of weight, and all of a sudden you're, you know, no longer a diabetic. But in technical terms, you would be considered a diet-controlled diabetic. You're always labeled a diabetic once you meet the threshold. That's correct. That's probably a good thing. It is a good thing. But it's not for everybody. And for those thin diabetics who are still type 2 diabetics, you know, we still need to work hard at, you know, making sure that their diabetes uh, is controlled and that they don't develop, you know, side effects to the diabetes like Dr. Rodriguez had mentioned in the first half. So, Dr. Gibson, what led you into geriatric pharmacy? I'm the son of a pharmacist. And when my dad was in practice, there wasn't such a thing. 
back in the 1940s and 50s and 60s. Uh, and I suspect it would have been something he, he would have very much enjoyed. What led you into the practice? It was my exposure, like, doing rotations at the VA. And, like, I mean, granted, from a selfish standpoint, as over the entire world everybody's getting older and the, the percentage of um, geriatrics is increasing, but also just the job relevancy because so many of the people in my division are on Medicare and Medicaid and being able to talk to my, my coworkers about, well, this is a good dosage for melatonin or this is something that you should be – like there was a study about using – like being able to put yourself into a hot bath for half an hour six days a week. And for some people who did not you know have diabetic harm from like a burn or whatnot, they improved their A1C or being able to be aware of like certain exercises you can do – in a rocking chair my teachers always said like always imagine you're treating your like your patients and i had a really strong relationship with my grandparents you mean in a rocking chair beyond just sleeping and rocking yeah there are exercises where you can like you're lifting yourself up you're trying to maintain the muscles in your legs and or like trying to be aware of like in brazil they um have certain clothes for people who are like slightly obese where you they if just the mere act of wearing them that they've been modified so that you can have slight reductions in weight mm. and like those are like because I'm a geriatric pharmacist I'm more aware of things like that that right that's cool the biggest impact for a person for a diabetic type 2 diabetic who's overweight is to lose weight more than more than medication so is to lose weight rather than wearing Spanx. <laughs> yes, exactly. So you know, I think what Dr. Gibson was was getting at is just exercise in general is what they need to do, and not just you know click the remote and you know watch different TV shows. You know, now that we have a humongous variety to watch on Netflix and such. <laughs> well, what about medications, yeah. Dr. Gibson, that are uh, supposedly very effective in helping people lose weight? I mean, the one that comes to my mind the first is Orlistat, and I would always have to counsel a patient, if you're going to use this, just, you know, be aware of the fact that this is, your bowel movements might become a little bit looser. And so you end up with the runs. Yeah. You poop out the fat, basically. Right. So the problem with the... So slippery of, poop. Slippery poop, yes. So the problem with a lot of these medications for our elderly uh, patients as side effects. And then there are other, you know, like phenamine is another one that's used for weight loss, but the problem is it can lead to tachycardia, which, you know, with people that it's have like a, speed. have AFib, yeah, then right? that's, you know, atrial fibrillation is an arrhythmia of the heart. And so the problem with a lot of these is, you know, I don't know about Dr. Rodriguez, but I, I shy away from prescribing weight loss supplements to elderly patients because of the side effects and because they really have to be motivated to lose weight. They can't just take a pill and you're not going to give them, you know, a weight loss supplement forever, you know, so they really have to be motivated to try to lose weight. Agreed. Uh, I think there's yeah. no alternative to uh, changing your lifestyle, right? Exercising yeah. and diet. Uh, medications help. But uh, I tell patients the most important thing is, is healthy living. So it's important to eat right and exercise. And, and yes, medications play a, a very important role. But uh, the most important thing that you can do for yourself is is maintain a healthy weight and eat right. But we live in a city where so many people are overweight. You must see it in your patient population. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's this, a sensitive topic. Well, it's it's a culture in the society that we have right now. It, it's uh, it's a sedentary lifestyle, and everybody stays in, uh, indoors working. And by the time we get home, uh, we have lots of responsibilities like cooking and cleaning. And at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. The last thing I want to do 
is is go go exercise. So, yes, this is a lifestyle change. It's a mentality shift, uh, and it's really kind of going against how we were raised uh, as individuals. I've never seen a fat roofer. If you drive around town in this incredible weather, people, normally men, not always, but normally men are up on a roof, even putting in metal roofs which reflect the sun right into their faces. You don't see any guy, uh, of those people who are obese. That's, that's right. I'm sure they're burning off plenty of calories doing that every single day. So turn your patients into roofing, right? <laughs> yeah, the problem with ex- you know, the problem also, apart from the culture of exercise and sedentary lifestyle, is that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of things, you know, a lot of foods that can increase, you know, your weight and fight, work against you losing the weight. And another big one is alcohol. So uh, drinking too much alcohol, you know, and, and, you know, San Antonio, for example, is, I think it's, wasn't it the number one city of all the United States for drunk driving? Yes. So there's a lot of alcohol going on here, you know, including alcohol with diabetics which, you know, are a lot of unnecessary calories. And when you have a six-pack a day, you know, it's hard to really improve that diabetic control with everything you throw at it. Got to stop you right there. Last question, Dr. Gibson, for folks who are listening who have uh, grandchildren or children heading off to college, would you encourage them to go into pharmacy? I would as long as they're willing to also consider moving because in my case I grew up in Virginia and I had to relocate. Yeah, you're wearing a Virginia Tech shirt, I see. Yeah. My dad and my sister. Did you go there too? I did not. My dad wanted me. I went to Virginia Commonwealth University, which had a med school because I was kind of vacillating between pharmacy and medicine. And you chose pharmacy. That's cool. Yeah, I want to thank you for coming in, Dr. Benjamin Gibson, Dr. Jesus Rodriguez. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Joshua Beck. Thanks for listening to WellMed Radio. Thank you for listening to WellMed Radio, a service of WellMed Medical Management. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And please be sure to tune in next week for another edition of WellMed Radio.